the second time through. I will call upon the Lord. Oh, 
such a almost a sermon in doctrine many times and such encouragement to, based on the word of God just meant to uh, sing those praises and encourage our hearts sometimes if we sing those songs you ever get the a, a song in your head through the week and wonder where it came from maybe it came from Sunday morning reminding us of those principles those truths those promises all through the week here's a really good one <clears throat> by Chris Tomlin is called Amazing Grace My Chains Are Gone.
is not an uh-oh. Well, I guess it is an uh-oh, but it's on my part. You know what? Last week, the church family, the church appreciation team, you guys gave Kathy and I an anniversary card. The church appreciation team contacted me three weeks ago when Jasper and Iris' anniversary coming up and asked me, what should we do? Well, my life got rather complicated rather quickly, <laughs> and I didn't get back to them, and that's my fault, not their fault. But we want to correct that. This is for you guys. We love you guys. Thank you very much. You have to remember what these guys have done with the youth group. They've really brought it up. And I chauffeured them one time to go to this bouncy castle thing. I wouldn't do it. I watched them do it, but I wouldn't do it. <laughs> Good morning, Tucson. Good morning. Good morning. <clears throat> so the question of the day is, what is love? A lot of definitions of love out there, defined in a lot of different ways. Years ago, Time Magazine did an article on what is love. This was their definition. Listen to this. Drifting moodiness and thought behavior. The mad concept that the entire universe has rolled itself up in the person of the beloved. Love is ecstasy and torment, freedom and slavery. Poets and songwriters would be in a fine mess without this. Carl Meninger, the world-famous psychiatrist, said, Love is medicine for the sick world. But what kind of love are we really talking about? Gandhi once said, power is incapable of exhibiting love. It's one of those things, when you first hear the word love, one of the first things we think about is romance, right? Romantic type of love. But that's not what we're here to talk about today. We're here to talk about God's love. It's a different kind of love. It's not, you know, love today seems to be something that you accidentally slip and fall into. <laughs> it's not the type of love, it's not something you make a lifetime commitment to anymore. So it's different. You know, the Beatles said all you need is love. Think about all the love songs that have the word love in it, of course, but think about all those songs. How many songs can you think of just off the top of your head? It's always skewed by the design and mindset of romantic love. But we're going to look at it a little different today. Today we're going to look at basically love in regard to acts and not just the way it feels. Because if you think about it, everything that we have that says today what love is, it's how you feel. You have to feel something in order for it to really be love. But is that really what love is? So as we examine this today, we're going to be in John 13, verses 18 through 38. But we're not going through them in chronological order, not, at least not to start with. So we're going to be jumping around a little bit. The right type of love, unfortunately, can become a term that we're so familiar with that it becomes problematic. Let me explain that. If I was to ask you, what's the number one mark of a Christian... Some of you might say, well, it's a little fishy symbol on the back of the car. <laughs> it's a bumper sticker. It's a cross on your neck. But what does God's word tell us the number one? 
practicality. So we're going to talk about that today. We understand that that agape love is there. But the question we have to ask ourselves today is, do I love in the right way? Do I love with the right motive? So as we identify these things, I want you to think about that. You know, when we say, I want to be a better dad, or I want to be a better mom, I want to be a better boss, I want to be a better employee, I want to be a better minister, I want to be a better Christian, what we're really saying is we want to love more of the way Jesus loved. We want to be more like Jesus. So as we think about this, we have to really plug this into our minds. What this definition of love genuinely is from Scripture. Not from what the world says, or not from what our own minds might conjure up. So let's look at these first few verses here. We're going to jump down to 34 and 35 first. And then we're going to go back and cover some other ground. Jesus said this, A new command I give you, Love one another as I have loved you. So you must love one another. By this, all men will know you are my disciples, if you love one another. Now, this new commandment, now think about this. We're going to call this the principle as I love principle. As I love you principle. Okay? Jesus said, this is how I want you to love others. But we know that the first and greatest commandment had already been given. Think about it. We see it in Matthew 27, uh, 2, 37 through 40. We see it in Mark 12, 30, 31. We see it in Luke 10, 27. What was it? The great commandment. Was it you love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your mind, all your soul, all your being, everything. And the second was like it. You love your neighbor as what? Yourself. So that had already been given. So what's he saying? What's the difference? They already existed. Love one another as I have loved you. Jesus introduced an equality of love. It's an equality of love. It's the kind of love that the world's never seen before. It's the kind of love that no one expected. In John 15, 9, he says, As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Now remain in my love. So he's given them a whole new principle of how to love. People are supposed to see God's love through us and in us. And we're supposed to demonstrate that love. But do we do it the way Jesus really meant for us to do it? That's the question today. If we're going to do that, and we're going to do it the appropriate way, we have to think differently and we have to act differently. And that's tough sometimes. There's three ways in these first few verses that we looked at, that we have to think about in all these verses. There's some differences that we have to identify first. The very first one is I need to discover the difference between what I feel and what I do. What I feel and what I do. Now listen, I don't know about you guys, but I don't always feel like loving. <laughs> and you don't either, if you're wrong. It's a struggle for some of us. Most everything in the world says that love is all based on that feeling. Here's a statement. Love is a feeling that you're going to feel when you have a feeling that you've never felt before. <laughs> Process that one for a second. 
Why is that? It's all tied to our emotions. And if we feel, if we don't feel that right emotion, then it must not be love. Think about this. Here's the problem. You can't command an emotion. I want you to think about this. You're at home, and you're overcome with a traumatic experience, and you start to cry. And you say, stop crying. I just need to stop crying. And you can't. Why? Because you can't command an emotion. Let's say you're with your spouse, and they're very, very angry. And you say, stop being so angry. Do they listen? No. no. Why? Because you can't command an emotion. That's what Jesus is trying to say here. It's not about emotions. You cannot command an emotion, but you can take action on a commandment. And that's what he's talking about in these verses. He doesn't command us to take action when he tells us what the commandment is. And this is a commandment. There's going to be days when you don't feel like loving others. There's going to be days when you're not even sure if you love yourself. There's days like that. Many times when you think about it, it's, it's really tough. If I don't feel like loving my husband or my wife or my kids, maybe it's not really love. If I don't feel like loving another brother or sister in Christ, well, maybe it's really not love. But Jesus said, yes, it's love, but you can't base it on feeling. So he's trying to get us to plug in a different way. Listen, think about this. Do you really think that when Jesus, was the night before, when he was praying in the Garden of Gethsemane, and he was going to go to the cross, do you genuinely think that he wanted to go to the cross? What was his prayer? Father, if there's any way, if there's any other way, take this from me. But nonetheless, your will and not mine. What was he saying? He was saying, I love you enough to trust you, Lord. I love you enough to trust you, Father. And I'm going to do what you say to do. That was humble obedience. And that's something that we have to remember. It's, it's difficult, but Jesus was showing that he loved God. And Jesus does that for us every single day. He loves us that same way. He proves it over and over again. And that's interesting. We're going to talk about it in a few minutes. Real love doesn't hide or cover or deny what real people or who people really are. And we're going to discuss that in a minute. Now, I'm not talking about some kind of sentimentality, that, that, that sickly, sticky sentimentality that takes away the reality of life. What I'm talking about is not thinking that everything is based on feelings or emotions. Even when you don't feel that you should love somebody, we need to act in love when we can. And that's the tough part. When a spouse has betrayed your trust somehow, when your children have broken your heart, you love them anyway. You act in love. So what does that really mean? You know, that's, that's the difference between what you feel and what you do. That's what we're talking about here. Our feelings, are your feelings a part of love? Absolutely, yes. But they're not the prime part of 
They're sort of like if you're cooking a really nice steak. They're sort of like the spices or the sauce or the saute you put on the steak, the feelings of it. The steak, the meat, the meal is the main substance. The love is the main substance. And that's why you put the other things on. If you just ate the spices and the sauce, it wouldn't taste very good by itself. And if you ate the meat by itself, it'd be sort of bland. But when you put them together, if once they fit together, just like Scripture talks about, it works and it's much, much better. It tastes much better. God's love is that substance in our life. The second thing is, I need to learn the difference between I should and I can. I should and I can. Jesus didn't say, okay, you really ought to think about doing this. You really should do this. You really should love one another. He didn't say that. Let's think about this for a second. If he come along and said, I really think you should think about loving one another. And you ought to do that. It would technically become another burden. You would think, oh my goodness gracious. Here I am, and I'm barely making it through the day without yelling at somebody. And now, you want me to love them too? That, that's some kind of added burden in my mindset. But he says, no. He said, I'm giving you a command to love one another. What's the difference? We will recognize that God will never tell us something to do and give us a commandment to do if he's not going to empower us and give us the strength to do it. That's the difference. He'll never do that. He always empowers us, and he gives us the power to do what he commands us to do. You'll be able to love in ways that you never dreamt possible. You never thought it would come to be. He says, you'll be able to love in those ways because my love is in you, and you are just showing my love to other people. There's another thing. Third thing is I need to remember the difference between old and new. Old and new. This is not an old commandment. This is a new commandment. He says, as I love you. It's based upon absolute love and not fear of any kind. Jesus says, I want to give you a whole new way to love one another. A whole new way to love me. A whole new way to love each other. He says it over and over again. You know, he's going to give us something worth living for. He's going to give us something that impacts every single area of our life. Day in and day out. It's going to impact the way we talk to people. It's going to impact the way we interact with people. It's going to impact the way you love your spouse, the way you love your family. It's going to impact every single facet. Why? Well, I think it's because it makes us less selfish. Now let's think about this for a second. There's nothing like unselfish love to change a relationship. Now think about this. You can't make other people's choices for them. We said just a moment ago that you could not demand an emotion. But you can sure change people's attitudes by the way you love them. If you show them unselfish love, it starts to soften their heart. Now, sometimes it takes time. I understand that. But Jesus is saying, you need to do that. We need to think about love for a second. Think about love the way the world sees it right now. And 
actuality, it's just a very polite way of getting your needs met. It says, I love you because you do this for me. That's how people interpret love to them, if we really think about it. It's just a polite way. Jesus says he's going to raise that bar to a whole new level. He's going to set up a whole new standard, if you would, of how to love. Listen. Love needs an example that's greater than itself. We need a foundation that's stronger than ourselves. And Jesus gives us that love. He loved us even as God loved him. And he says love needs a purpose higher than itself. Love needs that purpose higher than itself. The world is going to be drawn to us as Christians when we love the appropriate way. And they're going to realize something supernatural is happening because people do not naturally act that way. Most people don't act out of genuine, godly love. They know there's a difference. So this principle as, I want you to love others as I have loved you, that's a whole new concept. That's a whole new principle that he has put out there. There's four particular marks that we need to remember in these verses. And we're going to look at these as we go along, okay? There's some practical things that start to happen when we love in the right way. The very first one is, I begin to fellowship with other believers. I begin to truly fellowship with other believers. 1 John 1.7 says, If we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. Listen, Jesus fellowship with his father all the time, continuously. Are we not to pray continuously? Are we not to have fellowship with our Heavenly Father the same way? But by doing that, we also have fellowship with one another. That's a whole new closest, closeness and honesty and freedom that we let it go. The second thing is we forgive one another as Jesus forgives us. That's a tough one. Sometimes we don't like to he says, forgive one another just as God in Christ also forgave you in Ephesians 4, 32. Listen, I can't truly forgive you and you can't truly forgive me unless Christ is in our heart. Because he cannot, he, he doesn't give us power unless we're his child. And that's where that forgiveness comes from. He says he'll empower us to do it because he tells us to forgive one another. He empowers us to forgive. Jesus supplies that power, and it's a supreme power that allows us to do that. He not only forgives, but he's the example of forgiveness. The third thing, we accept one another as Jesus has accepted us. This is a tough one. And I'm going to talk about this, and I'm going to say some things, and some of you are going to probably be mad at me. But you need to understand how this comes about. All relationships are based on acceptance of one another. I have to accept you and you have to accept me in order for that relationship to function properly. Now hear me out here for a second. Most people think relationships are built on similarities. But if we all have the same similarity, a lot of stuff wouldn't get done. We might like each other and in those instances where people don't have those similarities, we think the 
so much better if you just thought the same way I did. Right? But it doesn't work that way. God's plan is to bring different people together from different backgrounds, different ways, and teach them to accept one another through mutual love. And he tells us that over and over again. He says, accept one another then as Christ has accepted you. It's based on the example of Jesus. He does it over and over again. He accepts us all the time with our hurts, with our hang-ups, with our crazy quirks, with all those things that are detrimental, or we see detrimental in other people. We don't see those flaws in us, but we see them in other people. But he accepts each and every one of us the same way. So he tells us over and over again. You know, without those differences, think about this, we'd be doomed. Without different talents and different skill sets and different things that God gives each and every one of us, we wouldn't have the diversity we have in the body of Christ. And we wouldn't be able to get some of the things that we are able to get done done. We need to accept one another's differences. Number four, we sacrifice for one another as he has sacrificed for us. 1 John 3.16 says, This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers. That's a covenant. There's some brothers we might do that for. There's other brothers we go, mm, I'm not sure. <laughs> Listen, gee, excuse me. Jesus sacrificed for us. We need to sacrifice for one another. This is especially true in our marriage relationships. Paul said in Ephesians 5.25, Husband, love your wife. Just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for it. Without sacrificing, one's love is nothing but self-love. That's not what Jesus is asking of us. You know, you can't have truly satisfying self-love if you're not willing to sacrifice for other people. And sometimes that looks differently in different situations. It's part of what makes our lives all worthwhile. Let's think about Judas for a second. Let's go back to verse 18 and 20. Judas rejected the love of Jesus. Look at what it says. I'm not referring to all of you. I know those I have chosen, but this is to fulfill Scripture. He who shares my bread has lifted up his heel against me. I am telling you now before it happens, so that when it does happen, you will believe that I am he. I tell you the truth. Whoever accepts anyone I send accepts me. And whoever accepts me, the one, accepts the one who sent me. Listen, you can't fool God ever. I don't care how hard you try. Jesus knew that Judas was the betrayer. Scripture tells us he knew from the beginning that Jesus, Judas was the betrayer. But Jesus accepted him as a disciple. Because it was all part of God's plan. It was, that's important to remember. Jesus accepted him as he was. But there's an important thought here. When he says he lifted up his heel against me, that gives us the imagery from the Greek of a horse and, a, and, a, and its owner. And the owner has been taking care of it and grooming it and watering it and everything else. But the horse takes his heel and takes his hook and 
draws back and he hits the owner every time he comes in. That's the visual picture that that's meant to show. We need to remember that even though Judas rejected Jesus, Jesus didn't reject Judas. How do we know that? Well, the very first thing, what does it say? It says he washed his feet. He didn't go by him and not wash the other, um, wash all the disciples' feet and not wash his. He washed Judas' feet too. And then it says, secondly, that he was seated on Jesus' left at the dinner. You know, it's interesting that in that day, the, 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 when the host sat people, that was a position of high honor, to sit on the host's left. And that's where Judas was seated. And the third thing is, he takes a piece of bread and he dips it and he gives it to Judas. That's a sign of friendship. That's a sign of camaraderie. That's a sign of intimacy. It'd be much like if we went to a Mexican restaurant and two or three families went together and all of a sudden one of your family members reached over and took one of those chips and put some salt on it and put it in your mouth. It's a sign of intimacy. It's a sign of friendship. It's a sign of love. And Jesus did that with Judas. And yet, he still betrayed him. Verse 21 and 22. After he said this, Jesus was troubled in spirit and testified, I tell you the truth, the one of you is going to betray me. His disciples stared at one another at a loss to know which of them he meant. All the disciples were asking, is it I? Is it me? They had the spiritual maturity to understand that something was going to happen, but they're getting ready to miss the boat. Look at verses 23 through 28 again. <coughs> One of them, the disciple whom Jesus loved, was reclining next to him. So, get this, Judas is on the left, John is on the right. Simon Peter motioned to this disciple and said, Ask him which one he means. Leaning back against Jesus, he asked, Lord, who is it? Jesus answered, It is the one to whom I will give this piece of bread when I have dipped it in the dish. Then dipping the piece of bread, he gave it to Judas, Iscariot, son of Simon. As soon as Judas took the bread, Satan entered into him. What you were about to do, do quickly, Jesus told him. But no one at the meal understood why Jesus had said this. Now I want you to think about Peter. Remember Peter's character and personality and his temperament. Those of you that come on Wednesday nights know exactly what I'm talking about. Peter, I can almost see and hear the wheels in Peter's head turning. As soon as he says who it's going to be, Peter's going to go beat him. He's going to go after him. But John leans back and he says, Jesus, who is it? Jesus said, it's the one I'm going to dip the bread into, in the bowl, and give him the piece of bread. That's the one. He's the one. But somehow they missed it. Dips the bread in and he says to Judas, do it quickly. But then the Bible says Satan entered into Judas. Now I want you to think about this. I think this is literal. I don't think this is figurative. Satan is not omnipresent like God. 
I think Satan was in that room, and I think he literally entered in to Judas's heart. And I believe that he moved Judas because of Judas's prior processing, if you would, of his greed and his envy and maybe his jealousy, all those things, that he decided that he was going to betray Judas or Jesus at that particular time and follow through with it. Now, he'd already made some of those arrangements, I know, but I think he finalized that in his mind and his heart right there. Verse 29 to 30. Since Judas had charge of the money, some thought Jesus was telling him to buy what was needed for the feast or give something to the poor. And as soon as Judas had taken the bread, he went out, and it was night. And I want you to remember what had happened earlier. Jesus had washed Judas' feet. He washed Judas' feet because he loved him. He gave him the piece of bread. He had him sit on his left because he loved him. He gave him ongoing opportunities again and again. He said that a few weeks ago, that he gave him, he gave him more than ample opportunities to change his mind, to change his heart. He walked out of that room with that bread in his stomach because of Jesus' love. But Judas still yet chose to reject Jesus. Verse 28. But no one at the meal understood why Jesus had said this to him. Now look, Jesus said plainly, it's the one I dip the bread into the bowl and hand it to and give it to to eat. Why didn't they understand? Well, let's think about this for a second. What did Scripture say? Why? He was he was a treasurer. He was the money holder. He had all the group's money. He was a trusted member of the group. He was probably one of the most trusted members of the group. But yet, they thought he was going to go out and get something to eat or something else for the feast. Then the second reason, they thought he was going out to maybe get something for the poor. Why? Because he was a man of compassion. He cared about the other people. But yet, he rejected Jesus. You know, when it comes to betrayers, they're hard to spot. They're not red with horns and a pointy tail. There's a possibility there might be some betrayers amongst us today. And by that, I mean they, they claim to have Jesus in their life. They claim to be part of the community. But maybe they're not. Maybe they're wolves in sheep's clothing. We don't know. Because they're hard to recognize. Why? Because they lie a lot. Because they try to make themselves look good. It's a problem. Let's think about this. People who deny the love of Christ, people who deny the love of Jesus, they don't always look the way we think they do. So what should we do? I think we need to look like Jesus. What did Jesus do? He loved them anyway. He set Judas down in his left hand. He washed his feet. He fed him. But yet, Judas rejected him. He gave Judas every opportunity to change his heart and change his mind. But yet, he, he wouldn't do it. Why? Why did Jesus treat Judas that way? I believe it's because Jesus saw what Judas could be. 
mind when you focus on loving others. What can someone be? What can someone become? Be contented with loving for who he could be. There's a huge difference between acceptance and approval. And we're going to talk about that for a second. You know, there's a lot of people whose lifestyles we don't approve of. But Scripture tells us we need to accept them. Especially their brothers and sisters in Christ. And I'm going to stick with me for a second. If Jesus was able to accept Judas, knowing all the things that he knew, is there anyone in this world that we should not accept? That's sort of a question for you to ponder in your mind. Is there anyone we shouldn't accept in there? Is there anyone we shouldn't try to love? That's a hard question. truth is just again, sentimentality. We can't do that. We have to be careful. Where it doesn't matter what people do. Because it does matter what people do. There's going to be consequences to come into the life because of the rejection of Jesus. There's going to be consequences to come into the life because of the rejection of the love that God offers them. But that's not for us to worry about. We have a different job. We have a different purpose in his plan. And that's what we need to focus on. You don't have to approve of everything someone does in order to accept them. Now let me explain this. And I, and I, I need to explain this carefully. Let's say, and we have not had this happen to the best of my knowledge, but let's say we find out someone that is attending with a child molester. I'm going to use the most extreme example I can think of. But it was 30 years ago. I might greet that person. I might shake that person's hand. I might tell that person we love them and we're praying for them. But I can guarantee you one thing. As long as we have anything to say about it, if I have any input to it, that person will always have eyes on them from other members in the congregation. There's a group of people that we have set aside that watch for people that we don't know about okay. all the time. They're sort of my, our safety team, if you will. And they watch, and they just make sure that nothing goes south that shouldn't go south. And if there's any inclination of someone, we get the word to them, watch. I know, I know that sounds cold. And sometimes it may be cold, but it's for everybody's protection, especially for our building's protection. Okay? And the leadership understands that. Now, let's say someone in the congregation goes astray. And we have to, and this has happened, and let's say that we as pastors, Pastor Jasper and I, and maybe another couple of people in leadership, have to confront them and say, listen, we realize this has happened in your life. We love you. We care for you. We know who you can be and who you could be. And we love you because of that. And you're still welcome to attend. You're still welcome to be a member. But you need to repent. You need to come before Jesus. Not for us, but you need to come before Jesus and make it right. Now, we've had some people that say, you know what? You're absolutely right. I 
need to repent, I need to ask forgiveness, but I need somebody to help me. So we'll do that. There's been other people that come along and say, you know what? You have no authority over me. You can't tell me what to do. We're leaving. Well, that's their prerogative. But I'm going to tell you something. Biblically, scripturally, it is part of our prerogative as pastors and leaders of the church to protect the flock and not allow anyone to be fleeced in any way. And we intend on doing that until Jesus comes. You guys throw me out. Okay? That's imperative. It's part of our pastoral duty. It's part of the leadership tool. We have to remember that. Real love says, I love you not for who you are right now, but I love you for who you could be. That's what we have to remember. I'm still going to love you and accept you, but I don't have to approve of what you do. And if you're doing things that I don't approve of what you do, they're unscriptural, as Pastor Jay used to say, it's immoral, unethical, or fattening. No, you don't feel fattening now. <laughs> don't do that. And if you do, just beware that it's harming you. As pastors and leaders, we have to do that. John 13, 31, 32. When he was gone, Jesus said, now is the Son of Man glorified, and God is glorified in Him. If God is glorified in Him, God will glorify the Son in Himself, and He will glorify Him at once. He tells us what's on His mind right there. Glorification is on His mind. And when He's talking about glorification, what's He talking about? He's talking about going to the cross. He's talking about His personal death. He's talking about being glorified. But He's telling the disciples, listen, Judas just left. My fate is sealed. All the things are in motion. Now comes the time. There's no turning back. I'm going to the cross. And I'm going to be tortured. I'm going through trials. I'm going to be nailed to that cross. And I'm going to physically die in this body again. He tells him that. But he says, now I'm going to be glorified. Listen. It's not how many people know your name or my name. It's not how many people we lead to Jesus. How we glorify Christ today is how obedient are we to him. That's the real key. How obedient are you in your personal Christian walk today? That's what he wants to know. Verse 33 says, My children... I will only be with you a little while longer. You will look for me, and just as I told the Jews, so I tell you now, where I am going, you cannot come. Jesus looks him square in the eye, and he's trying to explain things to him. And he says this in 34 and 36 again. He says, A new commandment I give to you. Love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples, if you love one another. Simon Peter asked him, Lord, where are you going? Jesus replied, where I am going, you cannot follow now, but you will follow later. Now think about this for a second. Jesus is strengthening the basic command of love the Lord your God with all your heart and love one another as yourself. He says it again. He's strengthening it 
He's trying to get Peter to understand. And Peter's thinking ahead. He's thinking of the next question. He's going, Jesus, hurry up. i got a question. I don't understand what he's saying, but I need to ask you this question. I want to know where you're going. He's got this question. Peter jumps right in. Jesus finishes speaking. And no sooner, Peter jumps right in and says, where are you going? If you were Jesus, wouldn't you say, Peter, can you listen? I was just giving you the greatest command, the greatest new command I could give you. And I'm talking about this 2,000 and 20-some years later, and you're in a row. See, here's the problem. Peter rushed past Jesus' love. Listen, I'm not so concerned about you and me that we reject Jesus like Judas did. I'm more concerned that we're going to rush past Jesus' love like Peter did. Because we do it all the time. We do it almost every day. Peter asked, where are you going? Jesus said, let me explain this to you just one more time. You can't follow me now, but you will follow me later. Verses 37 and 38. Peter asked, Lord, why can't I follow you now? I will lay down my life for you. Then Jesus answered, Will you really lay down your life for me? I tell you the truth. Before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. That had to be like a bite in the heart. Even here now. But Peter was doubtful. Peter rushed past the love of Christ. He rushed past. He rushed past that so quickly that he didn't even catch it. And we do the same sometimes. But you know what? Jesus loves us anyway, and he loves Peter anyway. Right. Think about this. Jesus took these twelve rugged men, these these guys that were just lumps of clay, these hard, jagged old stones. These rough old timbers. Why? Why did he choose these 12 guys? I always wondered that. And I believe it's because that he knew in his heart, in his mind, that in these men's in their hearts, that he could take those lumps of clay and he could mold them. And he could take those jagged old stones and he might have to chip away a little here, chip away a little there. And he might have to take that, that rough old timber and carve a little niche out here, carve a little out there. And yeah, that may hurt. But you know what? I believe he could make them in to the men he was going to trust everything to when he left this world. Because these 12 were what was the pattern of what we have today. Listen, he molds us. When we come to Jesus and we say, you know what, Jesus? I give myself to you. I surrender all to you. But this is all I got. Jesus says, you know what? That's no problem. I know what you're made of, but I also know what you can do. I know who you can be. He molds us, he shapes us, he chisels us, he puts us and makes us more in his image each and every day. And that's really what we want. So we have to be careful and not rush past the love of Jesus. Now, Jesus loved Peter. We know later on that he gave Peter... Uh, <coughs> He had what I call the come to Jesus meeting. And he he talked to Peter. And he gave Peter three opportunities, three chances to tell him that he loved him. To counteract those three times that he disowned him. And he continued to love Peter. 
that's really what he does for us every day. Listen, he loved Peter because he washed Peter's feet, just like Jesus. He gave Peter the food, just like he did Jesus. He loves each and every one of us the exact same way. Listen, forgiveness isn't ignoring what someone has done to you negatively. And I want to say this before we close. Love is not a feeling. We have to remember that. It's not, you're not going to feel the same if someone does something negatively towards you. That's understandable. But we still have to love them in Jesus' name. In Christ's name, we still need to love them and accept them because Scripture tells us to do that. Sometimes we're offended by a brother and sister and we get so caught up in the moment that we start getting frustrated and we start getting angry and then we start spewing off things that shouldn't even come out of our mouth. We have to be careful. John was sitting right there beside him through all this. He says, Jesus said, a new commandment I give to you. You know, in Mark 3.17, when Jesus found James and John, they were introduced as the sons of Zebedee. But you know, Jesus had to give them a new nickname. Why? He called them the sons of thunder. You remember why? Because they always wanted to argue with somebody. They always were mad and wanted to fight. And if you go down to Luke 9.54, James and John, when Jesus was rejected in the Samaritan town, James and John say, Lord, do you want us to call down fire on them? You can almost hear the glee in their voice, you know? He said, we got the faith, we can do it, we'll show them. But John's heart was eventually changed. John listened to the message, but it was the love and acceptance. That's the message that he continually gives us today. He says, love one another as I have loved you. He says it over and over again. Do you realize that John, let's think about this. Love one another, we see it twice in John 13, 34 and 35. We see it once in Romans. Every other time after the books that John was the author of, John is the one who says it. That became the theme of John's washing. That should become our theme and our that we're to love one another as Jesus loved us. John 13, 11. This is the message that you've heard from the beginning, that you should love one another. You ever had something happen in your life and it's, and it's so overwhelming, it so has such an impact in your life, it so transforms your life that you just, it affects your life for the rest of your life? That's what happened. Love each other as I have loved you. You know, church history says that John lived to be about 90 years old. And when he was 90 years old, he was, he was the church at Ephesus. Yeah, he was the leader of the church at Ephesus. He later became an elder. But he was asked one more time to give a sermon and tell the people. They wanted to hear more about what Christ's life was like. And he was there. He knew. So they wanted to hear more about that. And they asked him to speak. And he said, his message was really short. He simply got up and he looked across at the congregation that was there. And he says, 
very simple. Love one another as Jesus first loved us. That is the standard. That's what we need to live by. Let's pray. Father, we know we've heard this a hundred times, maybe a thousand times. But you know what? It's a lifelong theme that we need to put into practice. Father, I pray that you'd help us show us somebody this week to love them. Give us the opportunity to both receive that love that you give us and to share that love that you show us to someone else. Help us be that channel, the conduit of blessing and love to others. Help us share your hope, your mercy, and your kindness. Give us your strength to encourage one another, to lift each other up, and to not rush past your love. Father, help us all your purpose, your plan, and our lifetime. Father, if there's anyone here this morning that doesn't know you as Savior and Lord, this is all sort of confusing to them. I pray that you'd encourage them to step forward and just talk to us about this this morning. We'd be more than happy to respond to that. Father, if there's anyone here that's made that decision to accept you as Jesus and Lord in their life, but they've never been baptized, they've never taken that first step of obedience, I pray that you encourage them to come forward this morning. And Father, if there's anyone here today, maybe they've changed several times now, but they've never formally become a part of our church.
this message of God's love and really give that love to someone this week. You were still moving, so I just I made sure. so sad that it, that it wasn't true. I've flown in airplanes, never really without an airplane, just in my dreams. But, you know, this song is called I'll Fly Away. I just want to encourage us all that, you know, all who are believers in Christ are children of God. One day, whether the Lord comes back to take us home today or sometime soon, or we live the rest of our lives and die and go to be with the Lord in heaven, we're going to fly away from this, this world and we're going to be in paradise with Lord and with our loved ones who are believers in Christ forever and ever. No more pain, no more sorrow, no more being old, no more getting older, no more no more crying, and all of those things that we struggle with here on earth. And so as we go, I just want to remind us to rejoice throughout this week that one day we're going to fly away.